This week on episode 463 of Priority One, we trek out Akiba Goldsman, Batman and Robin apology, and what he has to say about Discovery. Brian Fuller gets candid, and the cast of Voyager reunite for a good cause. In Star Trek Gaming, Star Trek Online's No Win Scenario re-emerges and says to hell with honor, and we welcome Fazri Zubair of Lucid Sight's Crypto Space Commander. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 463 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, June 5th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kat. And I'm Tony. And in our audio booth is our chief engineer, Skiffy. Hello, all. Kat, welcome back to the show. It's good to have you. We hope that your move to the other side of the quadrant was as easy as possible. Uh, relatively. Had some hiccups, but I made it. Before we jump into the news, we want to invite you to join in on the weekly conversation, whether via social media platforms like facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter or Instagram at Priority One Pod, or by email to incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Captains, we understand that during these difficult times, offering a contribution to a podcast may seem uh, not possible, and we completely understand that. Our group of volunteers here on this production do rely on our dedicated and loyal patrons over at patreon.com to help us produce this show each and every week. For instance, this week we want to welcome two new patrons, Catherine Reynolds and Stephen Best. Thank you both for joining our Patreon family. Now, as I've already said, we completely understand that these are, in fact, very difficult and scary times. So to see our inbox light up with patrons is humbling. So thank you so very much. Instead, this week, we were invited by our friends over at trekmovie.com to contribute to the ACLU. Trekkies all around the world are uniting right now as we march against tyranny and injustice in the United States and across the globe. Organizations like the ACLU support those movements and are desperately needed. So, in true Trek spirit, we encourage you all to make a donation of $47 to the ACLU. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. And for those of you unaware, Skiffy, why don't you tell us about what the number 47 really means in Star Trek history. 47 is an Easter egg. You can witness it many, many times throughout all series of Star Trek. Uh, I gotta be honest, though, I don't remember how it actually got its start. Not in TOS. Oh, not in TOS. started in TNG. Yeah, it started in TNG. Uh, the writer of The Masks episode, which we reviewed on our Patreon-only show, After Hours, he was uh, a graduate of Pomona College, where 47 is kind of a thing there. And so he started a trend where he tried to insert the number 47 into as many different places as he can. 47% shield 
power. Uh, levels are dropping 47%, sir. Uh, there are 47 different species in this quadrant, whatever. Joe Minoski. That's his Joe name. Joe Minoski, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, College. He, was. Yes, he he didn't have he didn't write just the mass. He wrote a lot of he co-wrote a lot of great episodes uh, throughout Star Trek, and I, the mass was just how he came across this little Trek nugget, as it were. But the uh, donation of forty seven dollars to the ACLU lets them know that uh, living long and prospering in infinite diversity and infinite combinations uh, is a thing, uh, and uh, to to show the support that the Trek community gives uh, important civil rights, uh, civil liberties organizations, and this uh, interesting time we live in. That's true. So again, we will have links in our show notes and we encourage you, if you have the means, to please support an organization like the ACLU who are paramount in protecting the rights of individuals who are discriminated against and who suffer injustices each and every day. Thank you again to our patrons, our new patrons this week, and thank you for considering a donation to the ACLU. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Last week, we told you about a Collider interview with Star Trek producer, director, and writer Akiva Goldsman. On Friday, May 29th, the video of that interview was posted to Collider's YouTube channel, and it contained a slew of new information. Goldman apologized for Batman and Robin. It was heartfelt, but we're not sure it was enough. But he also talked a bit more about Star Trek. So strap in, because this week we've got more audio snippets. Goldsman told Collider he was not involved with Discovery's third season, but did have some information on what's to come. So Alex has really been deeply involved in the building out of what season three looks like and, you know, and what that post-Federation future is. I've seen some of it. I mean, you know, because we all work together in the same, or we did, place with lots of pictures of Star Trek on the wall and editing bays and things. And it seems awesome to me. It's not a final frontier, but it's a new one. Goldsman also revealed an interesting tidbit about Discovery's jump into the future. Quote, We all helped build that idea, even all the way back to season one. Aaron Harberts and Gretchen Berg, the original showrunners and season, the showrunners of season one. Like that, that idea dates all the way back to that. I think it's a spectacular idea, which is to, you know, to go post the timeline we know. For a link to the video, be sure to check out our show notes. Does that mean that I'm, I'm a little concerned about Kurtzman being deeply involved? I think that raises concerns for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> like, red flag, red flag. And the fact that Aaron Herberts and Gretchen Berg, this was all their idea, that doesn't help. Uh, None of this helps. None of this is helpful. Didn't both of them get fired for... Yes, they were both fired mid-season uh. two. <laughs> Wow, that sucks. Well, we only have high hopes. He did go on to mention, however, in the interview that he is not involved in Section 31 and... The Batman nipple person is not involved in Discovery Season 3. We've got that going for us. That's that's good. That we that we know. That we do have going for us. I don't mind Akiva Goldsman. I thought he did some okay stuff. I mean, it's not like he's Alex Kurtzman. I mean, I, I don't know if you're trying to, like, rank your, like, lowest, like... You're like trying to say which one, like. I mean, uh, (laughs) he's not as bad. I mean, relatively. There's room for difference of opinion here. Which one is the least good? You know, there's room for difference of opinion there. So here's the other thing too: is that he was kind of coy about strange new worlds because the interview was done before 
the new Pike series was announced. And he was really coy about asking if Picard was going to be his, his only show. So he may end up having a hand in Strange New Worlds with our beloved Pike. I can get on board with that. I can get on board with that. If as long as Starfleet uniforms don't have nipples, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Fuller is to Voyager what Jonathan Frakes is to Next Gen. Every time the man speaks, he leaves juicy audio clips in his wake. This week, the former Voyager staffer sat down with the Inglorious Trexperts podcast to celebrate Voyager's silver anniversary and sprinkled Trek nuggets all up in our sauce. Fuller discussed the push and pull between Voyager's creative team and then Trek head Rick Berman saying, quote... I think what was interesting in the evolution of the show, which you could sense the creative struggle, and I witnessed the creative struggle when I was working there, and there was an appetite for these bigger, bolder science fiction stories, and there was a, a lot of resistance from Rick Berman in embracing them because he was chasing the next generation and was not allowing Voyager to be the show that it could be. He went on to describe the writer's room's plan to make one of Star Trek's best two-parters, Year of Hell, a season-long arc, and Berman's reaction. The Year of Hell and the uh, behind-the-scenes drama around trying to craft not only that episode, but that season was fascinating because we wanted Year of Hell to last the entire season. We wanted to see Voyager get its ass kicked every episode, and through that season was going to be marbled the story of Anorax and the time shift that was changing things. So we would go back to it every once in a while to remind the audience that's the larger story, but because Deep Space Nine had made Rick Berman allergic to serialized storytelling, uh, violently so. When asked why Fuller thought Deep Space Nine was able to get away with things that Voyager wasn't, Fuller pulled no punches. Ira didn't give a f what Rick Berman said. <laughs> and Brandon did. Ira was like, I don't care, you're wrong. This is what we're doing. And fire me if you want to. He was always like, fire me. Like, if you don't like what I'm doing, fire me. But this is what we're doing. So if you're not behind it, then I suggest you find somebody else to do my job. And if you're done listening to us, but only after you're done, we highly suggest you listen to the full episode of Inglorious Trexperts. The link, as always, will be in our show notes. You know what this reminds me of? Enterprise Season 3. Zindi Ark, yeah. I got that vibe, too. They finally got around to doing that, the Year of Hell thing. And, and even better, they didn't reset it at the end. Oh, yeah, there's that. Because the Year of Hell would have involved a giant reset, right? Well, I mean, the way they presented it in the two-episode arc, it was a reset. But who knows what they would have done. It would have been a reset, right? Well, it would have had to be, because they would have every episode would be a new time alteration yeah. They were going to kill people. Oh, so what they were trying to do is cause and effect as a series? I would still totally watch that, though. I think it would have turned out better than Enterprise Season 3 did. Probably. And they could have even done internal resets, too, right? Like, Anorak's would have messed with the timeline, and then one week he killed Chakotay, and then they mess with the timeline, and Chakotay comes back. I don't know, man. That didn't work with Harry Mudd in Discovery. I don't know if that would work from week to week. <laughs> I like that episode. <laughs> I think the difference might have been they had a whole writer's room behind this idea and they had like an arc planned out, right? That's the difference between doing a one-off bottle episode and something that you have a whole team of people behind and then an arc planned out. I, mean, I think the Year of Hell worked as a two-parter. It was fine because that was part of a bigger story that they condensed down. There was a plan involved here and an interesting theme and an interesting story and they just had to throw a lot of it out and condense it down because they didn't get a season they got a two-parter. Well, that brings us to our first community question this week. Would a season-long Year of Hell be something 
you would have liked to have seen in the Star Trek multiverse? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our community question post on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. After 25 years, a reunion is in order, and that's exactly what happened on Tuesday, May 26th. The cast of Star Trek Voyager met via Zoom along with Seth Rodesky and James Wesley, hosts of Stars in the House, to talk Trek, but more importantly, to raise money for the Actors Fund charity. The one-hour meeting, which was organized by the Stars in the House hosts and Voyager's Robert Picardo, was a fun way to look at Voyager's behind-the-scenes dynamic. Robert Duncan McNeil, portrayer of helmsman Tom Paris, and He-Man pal Kevin Corrigan talked about Kate Mulgrew's first day on the set. Mulgrew put on the jumpsuit after the departure of Genevieve Bouillot, Voyager's first Captain Janeway, quote... There was a lot of uncertainty, I guess, when Jean Viev left. There was a lot of uncertainty. Was the show going to get made? Were they going to make it a male captain? Maybe they couldn't find a female who they felt could do this. And mm. the moment you said the first line on the bridge, personally, I felt like this show's going to work. We're going to make it. Wow. Now it's all together. Mulgrew, who has expressed interest in returning to the role of Captain Janeway, was eager to ask former co-star and current Picard actor Jerry Ryan about what's going on with Star Trek's newest series, quote, What's the plan now going forward? Nobody knows anything. To which Ryan replied, quote, We were originally supposed to start shooting the middle of June, but they would have had to have started building the sets the beginning of May to do that, which we can't do. So we're just waiting. waiting. I see. They're hoping that we can start shooting in the fall. I don't, I don't know. For a closer look at great performances from Roxanne Dawson, Robert Duncan McNeil, and Tim Russ, and most importantly, to donate to the Actors Fund, check out the links in our show notes. I have not had the opportunity of watching this yet, but uh, I have followed Seth Rodesky and some of his other projects. I mean, he's huge in the world of musical theater. And so I can imagine that this was a fun group reunion for them all. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to sitting down and watching this one. I watched it. It was a lot of fun. And uh, he's got some surprises, too. Seth does. He pulled out some clips of uh, some of the actors in some of their previous musicals. Oh, nice. Stuff that I understand is really hard to dig up, and he had clips of That sounds amazing. I bet it was fun. You, I mean, you know those guys see each other at, well, they did at, <laughs> you know, the cons and on the circuit, but I bet it's really cool to see that. This week, Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, did not record episode 463 live. It has been our weekly goal to entertain and inform our listeners of all the goings-on in the Star Trek multiverse. We like to consider ourselves an enjoyable distraction to your everyday lives, but sometimes it becomes irresponsible to ignore what is happening in the world. This week in the United States, protests and rioting erupted when George Floyd was murdered by members of the Minneapolis Police Department. Floyd's death, along with centuries of oppression, systemic racism, police violence, and discrimination of black and brown Americans have sparked protests at home and abroad. On June 2nd, StarTrek.com showed its support for the Black Lives Matter movement. A three-minute clip of Deep Space Nine's Far Beyond the Stars starts with a simple message. Black lives matter. Black culture matters. Black communities matter. We stand in solidarity with our black colleagues, creators, partners, and audience, and condemn all acts of racism, discrimination, and senseless acts of violence. In the article accompanying the video, there is a link to the Black Lives Matter's call for a sustainable transition in our communities. We have included a link to that petition in our show notes. Tonight, 
we cannot pretend to overlook what is happening in the United States. We stand with our brothers and sisters fighting against injustice. And we understand that in this case, the show must not go on. Tonight and every night, we must remain attentive. We must continually educate ourselves with facts. We must unite in solidarity to protect this nation and others against injustice, tyranny, and oppression. Captains, live long and prosper, and do so through infinite diversity in infinite combinations. If you'd like to support the protesters, we encourage you to donate to the ACLU. And in true Trek fashion, we're looking for Trekkies to donate at least $47, as mentioned during the opening of our show. And on that note, this is a reminder that what happens to the least among us, the most vulnerable among us, eventually spreads and harms everyone. And there's a reason why law and order and the recognition of procedure and protections and liberty for all is vital to the survival of our way of life. Star Trek isn't the only science fiction show to cover this kind of a problem. Kat, there's some words from another famous admiral, an Admiral Adama, that I think go right to the heart of this. There absolutely are. Admiral Adama says, there's a reason you separate military and the police. One fights the enemies of the state, the other serves and protects the people. When the military becomes both, the enemies of the state tend to become the people. Captains, that's all the general news we had to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. The second part of the massive event campaign resumes on June 4th for PC and on June 30th for console, but at the greatest cost. Apologies to Captain Kirk, but the no-win scenario is real, and it is here. Playing either the Arena of Sompak or the Kobayashi Maru TFOs each day during the 21-day event will grant you honor and glory, along with 50 event campaign progress and daily progress towards the no-win scenario event grand prize. The grand prize includes three featured TFO boxes, 25,000 dilithium ore, and a new account unlocked ship with an admiralty card. The scaling tier four Kobayashi Maru freighter for the Federation and Federation-aligned characters, along with the Tongjuk freighter for the KDF and KDF-aligned characters. While freighters are well-suited for combat as a Ferengi with an ear infection, they offer onboard access to amenities like the Exchange, Bank, Expanded Transwarp, and Special Trade Duty Officer missions. Even better, you can go to and from your freighter's interior from any other ship rather than fully switching between the two. The link to the stats of these new ships will of course be in our show notes. Now it must be noted that while it's possible to do everything right and still lose in life, that's not quite true for the event. The event TFOs now have designated endpoints and cannot be failed before reaching them. The Kobayashi Maru ends at level 6 and the Arena of Sompak ends at level 7. That makes them always win scenarios if we're being honest. Also, the TFOs untimed and infinite versions will also be disabled, but the event TFOs will not have cooldowns. So, will you find an honorable end as you fly into the face of certain doom? How many patachs will you take with you as the dread tyrant's lightning turns your teammates into scorch marks? You'll have plenty of chances to find out. But, warriors, pray that today is 
a good day to die for you not to see another. While PC captains are facing their own mortality, console captains will confront Jaula and attempt to end her spurious sporulation spree. To hell with honor pits players against the temporarily displaced Klingon matriarch and her Alachi pawns as they race to destroy House Mokai's ship bases and mycelial rifts on the Beta Longkai moon. The TFO premiered with the 10th anniversary event on PC and is finally making its way to Xbox and PS4 from June 2nd through June 30th as its own To Hell With Honor event. This will also be a part of the event campaign 2 for consoles with daily play netting captains 50 event campaign progress and one daily progress. The R2D, I mean, sorry, the Dot 7 ground drone pet and kit module will unlock for all characters on an account after acquiring 14 daily event progress, along with the usual three featured TFO boxes and 25,000 dilithium ore. I hope that you love Klingon Wagner and the smell of mycelium in the morning smells like victory. The galaxy united to fight off the Iconians, then it united again to defend itself against the Herc Onslaught, and only recently that alliance came together to design the Kittimer Alliance Battlecruiser. Now your Star Trek Online captain can proudly wear the uniform and ship livery of the Kittimer Alliance. As announced via news blog, this week's STO are freely giving away the new cross-faction Kittimer Alliance uniform and the new Kittimer Alliance vanity shield until June 16th. To see how you think the Alliance factions may have influenced the new uniform, check out the blog link in the show notes. Grab your free giveaway in the promotions tab on PC Now and soon TM on consoles. In an effort to lend a hand to new players or even surprise the most veteran captains in Star Trek Online, here's our top tip. Captains who spec out their ships for control abilities will frequently center around Gravity Well, drawing enemy ships together to create a cascade of warp core breaches. However, some ship weapons do not play well with this tactic and should be avoided. The Dark Matter Quantum Torpedo and Omega Heavy Plasma Torpedo Launchers will cause ships to disintegrate upon defeat, rather than detonate. Avoid these torpedoes or your deliciously destructive chain reaction will be over before it begins. That's almost all the news we have to cover in gaming news, except before we open hailing frequencies, we welcome Lucid Sight's Fazri Zubair to talk about the latest Trek-related updates to their game Crypto Space Commander. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Captains, on this episode of Priority One, we are pleased to welcome back to the show Chief Technical Officer and Co-Founder of Lucid Sight, Fazri Zubair. Fazri, thank you so very much for joining us and coming on to give us an update on what's going on in Crypto Space Commander and how Star Trek assets are getting into the game. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, been great talking to you a few months ago back at uh, the Star Trek convention. Happy to be on again. Feels like forever ago, doesn't it? Yeah, completely. The world's changed quite a bit. It has, it has. So first, let's do a brief recap of what the game is and how players can participate. Sure. So CSE, Crypto Space Commander, is a space MMORPG that's currently available through Steam or directly through our website. And what it is, is similar to Star Trek Online, we have an MMO world with hundreds of users playing at the same time, acquiring resources, crafting items, building ships, exploring, discovering, creating guilds and alliances, and general uh, social and gaming conflicts arise from that in the gaming universe. In a nutshell, CSE is a space MMO. 
Now, it's not necessarily set in the Star Trek multiverse, so to speak, right? It, it, there are other non-Star Trek ships that players can use. Correct. So this is not directly in the Star Trek multiverse. We were really fortunate working uh, with the Star Trek brand team and CBS, and we were able to basically do a crossover event, uh, utilizing some of the Star Trek lore, in this case, a divergence rift that basically connects our CSC universe with the Trek universe and items from that universe kind of fall into this universe and our characters and our story and our NPCs are like, well, what's a photon torpedo? And they, they start acquiring these items and players get to start acquiring these items. And it's allowing us to do some interesting things, both from a lore perspective and a content perspective. Wonderful. Tell us a little bit about what an average mission would look like that kind of involves Star Trek. Sure. Well, starting tomorrow, uh, the Picard event actually kicks off in game. We officially launched it uh, this last Friday, uh, where um, we'll go into that in a little bit, but we have some auctions and some ships available to players. But tomorrow, the Divergence Rift opens up again. This happened last August in our first event, uh, where several ships from the original series, Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine came into the universe, and players and NPCs were battling over these resources we called Divergent Shards. And these shards were like temporal anomalies that users could collect, and they could turn them in, and they could become items from that universe. So the Rift has opened again, and now users will be doing multiple missions for our in-game government called GFI, or Galactic Federation Industries. And doing the missions for the government will be clearing out NPCs, so finding drone nests. We have a lot of Van Neumann drones in the game, self-replicating AI drones that are basically eating up all the resources across our little part of the galaxy. So players will go out, destroy them, bring their wreckage back, and then the mission giver or GFI will then reward them with these Star Trek Divergent shards. They could fight pirates, they could transport colonists, getting colonists from stations that are about to be attacked by the Borg who are incurring in this event to safe zones. By users doing that, they also get these shards. By collecting these shards, they could then turn them in to a quest giver in the event system. Uh, we're using EQ uh, Pegasus as the main quest uh, location. And turning them in will basically give them different loot, including potentially a Star Trek crate, which has one of the five ships that we have available for this event. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Now, this takes place entirely in space, right? There's no ground Correct. combat. There's no anything like that. So you are in your ship flying through the galaxy and earning these. Exactly. So uh, there is no ground combat. It's all third person ship view. The game works a little bit like um, old school fleet commander. You know, you're looking top down or uh, a three fourths view or just basically looking at your ship from a short distance. And then you're clicking and commanding or using manual controls to move your ship through asteroid belts or through nebulas or fighting other players or NPCs. And for this event, particularly, this is our uh, Star Trek Picard plus CSC event. We were very fortunate with the new Picard series coming out that we were able to get some ships that were brand new and never before seen. Primarily, uh, I love the the Keplin F-17 Speed Freighter or La Serena. Okay. So yeah. I think this is actually uh, the first generic version available in a game. So we have the, what the La Serena was based off of, what was the Keplin F-17. And our art team did a beautiful job recreating the mesh and bringing it into the engine. It looks actually phenomenal. And those, you can see pictures of it on our website as well. And then La Serena itself, is actually one of the auction ships. So similar to our last event, uh, where we auctioned off the first of these ships, we are auctioning off four unique Star Trek ships that are blockchain secured, 
guaranteed one of one. And just as a reminder on CSC, one of the, the main differentiating points of this game is it's using blockchain technology. So we use the same technology that Ethereum's built off of, and we create what are called non-fungible items or non-fungible tokens. These are proof that someone owns an item. And in our last event, you know, we went through five different auctions and one of the items was an enterprise D, the first enterprise D ever on the blockchain, had the serial number 1701 on the blockchain, just, you know, we thought it was a nice nod. And that one sold for about $30,000 to a collector. And these items, they persist on the blockchain forever. Once you own it, not even, we can't even take it away from you. That ownership record is secured. And similar to that, we have these next four items coming up, which one includes, and I think for the first time ever, it's a tactical board cube that's player playable that is full scale. So 1,500 meters long, high, and wide. Wow, that's that's crazy. It, it, it's, it's incredible <laughs> to see in the game. We brought it out in one of our dev streams just so people could see, because um, most of the time these rare ships get picked up by collectors who are interested in them, and they'd never fly them in the game or never bring them out. They'll usually just sit in a vault and you know collect, and they might bring it out to showcase once in a while, which is really interesting. I think that's probably one of the neatest things we've seen with CSC. By us- utilizing blockchain technology to make all our game assets these unique collectible items, people treat them almost like physical items. It's like if you take out your mint condition Kirk action figure. You'll never take it out of the case. You'll let people look at it from the distance. So that's it. No no way you're going to risk that. Now, so just to kind of give a brief overview of, again, of what a transaction looks like in the game. Sure. So I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on blockchain by any means necessary, but I know enough to be dangerous. (laughs) I have a a few Ethereum coins and a little bit of, of Bitcoin, but all right, let's say I have one Ethereum. Right. Sure. And I want to bring that into the game. Does do I have to convert my Ethereum into a currency for your game or does it is it essentially a one to one purchase? Great question, actually. Well, um, you actually have a couple options. So in the game, you know, we're a game that's available through Steam to simplify this and make it easy for all players to play. We have a hard currency similar to most games and a soft currency. Hard currency is currency where you pay a dollar, you get some quantity of it. Soft currency you can't purchase, you earn by doing in-game activities. So if you had one Ethereum, you have a couple options. One is you could go to the website, purchase our hard currency, and open up a Star Trek supply crate and see which ship you'll get. And basically at this moment, there's one of five ships, either the captain's yacht from the uh, last Star Trek movie with Picard, the Keplin F-17 speed freighter, a Romulan warbird full size, sovereign class starship like the Enterprise-E, and then a Borg tactical cube. The other option is because we're built on this blockchain technology, players have created markets. Uh, uh, there, there are secondary markets on the Ethereum blockchain where players can trade any type of NFT, these non-fungible token assets. So not just our game, but there's lots of other crypto games out there. Third-party marketplaces have formed. And because blockchain's transparent, whenever you do a transaction, you can see it, you can take that one ETH, go to one of these third-party marketplaces, and then you could go find a Kaplan F-17, or actually most recently, I'd say a Borg Cube sold uh, in the last few days for 3.5 Ethereum, so $834. But wow. one Ethereum, you could get a Romulan Warbird, last sold for 0.89 Ethereum, $216. Wow. These are you're buying directly from other players. It isn't going through us. This is just the assets are available on the blockchain. Option two would be taking that Ethereum, converting it into our in-game currency, and then purchasing it off our in-game marketplace. 
marketplace. This is where you can buy for our currency from other players as well, want currency in return so they can go buy another item, buy more refining bays, buy more manufacturing facilities, or buy other things in the game they need to continue their gameplay. So the community drives the market or the blockchain value drives the market. I think it's definitely a hybridization of both. The mm-hmm. blockchain, there is options for users who are sophisticated with blockchain, because as you know, blockchain is not the easiest thing to use. You have right. plugins in Chrome, and th- there's complexities and steps. And with those complexities and steps, there's still some people willing to go through that and do these blockchain trades, where they could trade these items for Ethereum. But there's just as many people, actually more people, that are trading these items for the hard and soft currencies in the game. We do approximately about sixty to seventy thousand dollars a day in marketplace transactions right now inside the game, not including the Ethereum transactions outside of the game. So there's a good amount of volume and items just being traded between players for in-game currency to do in-game activities. So I guess my question is also: so for instance, right now one Ethereum coin is roughly valued at about two hundred and forty dollars right now, right? Correct. Yes. So, but a, a ship in the game right on on that third party market can shift in value so that it'll never necessarily be that a sovereign class ship will always be locked into a particular price the value will go up and down correct based on supply demand how many get destroyed in the game how many still exist you know one of the key aspects of csc and something that's uh, coming up here during the picard event is we for the first time last year in august when we launched on early access we were in our alpha state as of friday we are now officially in our beta state persistent destruction permaloss is an aspect of the game that's going to start coming in so there might be 200 sovereign class ships in the game right now through persistent destruction if someone's taking it out into risky space getting into pvp battles there might only be 150 or 140 and after this event no more created and there's a finite number of these so that's how the price gets valued over time is how many of them are left how many exist so forth now if i never invested in cryptocurrency if i don't know anything about bitcoin or ethereum because i have a feeling there are people listening going i i don't know anything about that i have no idea what a bitcoin is i have no idea what ethereum is I've heard of blockchain and I've heard various different opinions upon it. Yeah. Can players still participate in the game and have an enjoyable experience getting these Star Trek ships without necessarily having to learn the ins and outs of blockchain? Absolutely. That is exactly what we're doing with this. Blockchain is a feature on the game, but it's not necessary for any new player. If you're a new player right now listening and you want to come in and participate, we have a six-week event going on. You get the game through Steam or you get the game through our website. You can come on in, go to the the station by the rift in the game where the in-game news and messaging will tell you where it's at, and you can start running missions for the Galactic Federation inside the game collect the loot from the missions, turn them in, and eventually turn that into a Star Trek ship through a loot crate or straight up buy a loot crate with in-game currency. There's no need uh, for anyone to um, to know blockchain at all. Blockchain is more an advanced feature where when you're comfortable with the game and you've spent you know hundreds of hours, or I've seen some players like six or 7,000 hours playing the game, grinding, creating ships, they might be then taking those ships out to secondary markets to sell or selling in-game to continue to grow and expand their empire in the game. So how has the community grown since we last spoke in August? I remember we talked about a Ferengi trading group that had developed even back then, 
what are you seeing now and and with shows like Picard and you know, Discovery season three on the horizon and, and the new Pike series on the horizon, yeah. how has the community changed over the last several months since we last spoke? Yeah, absolutely. Well, some of the biggest guilds in the game have been growing. Um, the, since the last few months, the game has grown 10 or 20x in uh, daily active users and activity and player base. I think we've, we've almost doubled uh, in t uh, total Steam signups and new user accounts since then. The Star Trek lore in our game has offered this fantastic chance for players to, you know, get in. And as with an RPG roleplay, we have a Borg Collective Guild now. We didn't even know there was a Borg Cube coming out. We didn't announce this till just a few weeks ago with the announcement that they had formed a guild called the Borg Collective. They're fighting over resources and rare systems. The Ferengi Trade Guild still exists. And they actually got, went a little bit more sophisticated and created their own uh, guild currency using the blockchain technology as well to facilitate trades among guild members but that's continued to expand so we've definitely seen uh, the star trek lore as a nice fun side story to this entire universe as people are kind of adopting the those personas as they're expanding into the game and how do communities interact with each other you know like in, in traditional games some communities have their own websites and you know we now have tools like Discord to, to stay together, Reddit and, and whatnot. Oh yeah. Does the game not only have an in-game chat, but also how are these players collaborating? Yeah, uh, well, great question. Actually, uh, Discord's probably been the primary thing I've seen. Every new guild, every guild in general will typically have their own Discord channel. In-game chat- And you're in all of them, aren't you? Maybe. I'm, I'm trying to get work done, so I, I shoot myself in the foot by going in there and reading. I mean, some of the drama and some of the, 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 the things that happen in the universe are absolutely phenomenal. A great example is just a few weeks ago, there was economic sanctions from one of the top manufacturers in the game who creates a lot of items disagreement with a guild called Empire and basically posted in every Discord, I will not directly sell to Empire or Empire players, plus I'm giving every other guild a discount. And that created a lot of drama since he was one of the main producers of higher tech equipment in the game. But it, it, it's fascinating. I mean, it's amazing to see people take these tools and like a blank slate universe we've laid out. We've given very little limitations other than here's your ships, here's the items. Once you have some items, you could just grind your way up, build whatever you want in the game everything in the game is infinitely craftable, infinitely changeable, and watching that unfold, it's, it's great. But just to get back to your question, yeah, Discord's been a great in-game chat. Uh, we have had a big update to it since the last we talked that provides a little bit more flexibility, private messaging, group messaging. We have guild messaging and guild systems coming in in the next few weeks here. How big can a guild get? No limit. As as big oh, as someone wow. wants it to get. It, it becomes a, a, a matter with like any MMO of management. You know, in my early right. days, I used to play a lot of Eve and like large guilds almost become a full-time job for the people running them. Yeah. And the nice thing about CSC yeah. and the, the flexibility and freedom blockchain provides us is, you know, this is a free and open economy. If you spend 4,000 hours playing the game, you build up entire fleet of ships and then decide, you know, I'm going to take a break or I want to move on to another game. Typically with games, all that time and effort you put in is kind of locked to that account. You can't like, unlike if I bought a flat screen TV and then wanted to upgrade into years, I could go sell that on eBay and recoup some of the costs. 
well, with CSE, you always have that option, either through the in-game marketplace or third-party marketplaces. Assets can be traded in for Ethereum and then eventually converted to dollars or traded in for game currency to play different aspects of the game. So there's a lot of freedom in CSE. It's a game that, you know, we've developed and put a lot of passion in, have weekly updates to, and our, our player base grows and sees that and it's excited. And you know, I'm just excited to get more, more and more players and see this thing just blossom out in the next few months. So with respect to ships, can I go into the game right now and buy myself a Sovereign or a Borg Cube and start playing or are ships level gated? So for instance, I have to reach level 10 before I can fly a sovereign type ship. Got it, yeah. So this was an intentional design decision we made from the start with CSE. We have no levels. There is no traditional levels or caps like you'd see in an MMO. There are ranks that will unlock future missions, but you could come into the game as effectively a level zero player with narrow experience. If you could find a sovereign class ship or a board cube on the marketplace and you want to buy it either with hard or soft currency, have at it. You can fly around with it and have a good time. Where experience starts benefiting a user is how the game works and how to work with tactics and how to control your ship. So it's more of a natural thing. Like you could get a fighter pilot that could get into an F-22 Raptor with zero experience and another one who gets into like an F-16 with 30 years of experience. One of the F-16s is probably going to win. Similar aspect in CSE. We're trying not to artificially limit players by arbitrary values like level and instead letting your creativity and your ability in the game speak more loudly. Awesome. All right. Very cool. Now, I have another question regarding Ethereum and the assets in the game. So let's say I go into the game and I don't have any Ethereum and I don't make any purchases with any cryptocurrencies. I earn the currencies and my assets in the game without trying to spend any of my own money. Can I, I could then in theory, from what I understand you saying, if I get lucky and find myself with a Borg cube, I could potentially sell it and convert that to real money. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we will never do direct U.S. dollar conversions. You know, for us, you know, it's a game ecosystem, but because we give you the flexibility and freedom to move that item onto the blockchain and then you could take it, trade it with a friend for a couple bucks, trade it on a third party marketplace. Absolutely. Interesting. That, that, that's what I find fascinating about this design is that, you know, traditionally you buy a digital item in a game and that's it. It's locked to you. You can never do anything with it. But in this particular case, as you mentioned, if, if there are 200 sovereign class ships out there and 50 of them get destroyed, that means that the value of the other 150 will rise up. And if I'm an owner of one of the 150 remaining ships, I could, in theory, exchange it and earn real money for it. Yeah. That's really cool. That, that's exactly right. Like uh, from our last event, we, you know, we had substantially less ships when we first did this. And you know, this was the first time for the Star Trek brand team, first time for us, where we were doing these blockchain ships. We had no clue what they'd value for or what they'd go for. So there was only 130 Enterprise Ds. I think there was only 10,000 Star Trek supply crates that we had in that first one because we had a smaller community and you know we were, we were feeling this out, seeing if there was any interest. And it was phenomenal and that how much we got and how many that will remain. So on this one, we, we went with a much larger number. The community has grown and you know, we're coming out from alpha to our beta state. We'll be promoting and getting new users in over the next few weeks. Uh, we wanted to make sure there was enough, but what we've quickly seen is, so there's plenty of sovereign class enterprise E's now in the game, about 200 or so. There's only 130 enterprise D's, you know, the, the next generation enterprise. And those have now been going up in values. New players are coming in and it's like, wait, you know, I want to go with classic uh, Picard, but there's just, there's only so many of them. 
Right, so it's, right. it, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see the economics of the game and how they play out. And there's been players that have created their own tools. There's actually third-party websites uh, that you can go to that actually show the entire CSC marketplace and uh, what's selling, who bought what, what's a, what's an average value of an item. Is There's even appraisal tools that will look through the inventory on your account and tell you how much it's all worth based off mm. real sales both in and out of the game. Oh, fascinating. Now... The game is available through Steam on Windows and Apple computers. Correct. Uh, not mobile. Not mobile. Is there a plan to move towards a mobile platform, or is the game just too large for it? The game, I wouldn't say it's too large for it. It's more the blockchain technology is so, so new. Uh, you know, platform holders are still trying to figure out how they want to handle it. So I think, you know, we're a small indie studio, 30 or so people. So we're going to keep it PC and Mac for now, focus there, make the game great on those platforms, and we'll reevaluate mobile when it makes sense. Now, I am currently on your Steam page right now, and I can add it to my cart for $9.99. Correct. But I see that, you know, it says, for instance, early access to the game. And you mentioned a few moments ago about moving into beta now. So what exactly is the user experience like? Or what I guess what I want to ask is what differences will we see once the game is out of beta? What's the $10 for, for instance? Got it. Yeah. So the $10 basically gives you a ship. So you will come into the game with a, a Vanguard ship from the Vice Corporation in the game. It will allow you to mine, complete missions. It actually puts you at a good starting point, a great level playing field in the game, where you can complete intro tutorial quests and a bunch of missions around the Sol system. As the game progresses and once we get out of beta, we expect that price to go up. The starting point will go higher. Back in August when we launched into um, early access and it was in alpha, there was no tutorial, there was no questing and mission systems. It was pretty bare bones. You'd go in there and players were left to their own devices to create stories. What we've brought now is a lot more content. You could come into the game and with a little bit of effort, you know, getting that first ship, understanding the mechanics very quickly, within a few weeks, you could build your next ship, you could start upgrading, you could discover new technologies, there's hidden items, taking out NPCs, drop blueprints. Like right now, one of the big things players are going for is a Dreadnought class ship. It's the largest ship in the game. There's none that currently exists. Well, there's one that currently exists that was bought early, early on by one of the early supporters of the game. But players can build it. And to build it, they need to get blueprints. And so far, 12 blueprints have been found. And you need a minimum of 20 blueprints to have 100% chance of manufacturing. So as a new player coming in, you just spend all your time taking out NPCs looking for these blueprints or taking exploring deeper parts of the space, fringe space, and looking for hidden items or more NPCs that could drop other rare items. There's quite a bit of items actually in the game users have not discovered yet that just requires some grinding out on NPCs as you get further away from Seoul. But I cannot build my own Star Trek ship, though. Cannot right? build your own Star Trek ship. Star Trek ships and oh. event ships are all, <laughs> uh, you know, IP, uh, the Star Trek brand team and right. such. Uh, these are event ships that come in. But during the event, there is a chance that you can get one by collecting enough shards. So I want to get a little meta with you sure. um, in terms of game development. Maybe not meta, but perhaps a little more existential. You know, right now, with everything that's happening globally starting with COVID-19 you know you find that you know people are losing their jobs yeah. players are sitting in front of their screens more and more playing games but at the same time it becomes difficult to try to continually fund a game uh -huh. and ask players for money right and 
there's no way that any company can be expected to continue without earning some degree of income. Correct. So as a game developer, you know, aware of these these things happening, how do you approach marketing for the game? Perhaps how do you approach earning money now? How do you approach players in a way that is inventive or creative to try to make sure that the lights stay on so that you can continue to develop your game? Yeah, that's actually a really, really good question on this one. Yeah, I mean, we're in a different world now. You know, 40, 40 million people have no job, lost their jobs in the United States since the start of the COVID crisis. And people are finding themselves a lot uh, at home more. And we've actually seen gameplay go up and users go up but like marketing this game you know we are we are not ea we're not uh, supercell we're not activision we don't have uh, you know hundreds of millions of dollars into development hundreds of million dollars for marketing uh, we're indie we're small we're tight we're scrappy but what, what we do have is a lot of passion and, you know i think that's one thing that we can deliver and we put out and what we're trying to focus on and kind of spread the word with the game moving forward we've put something phenomenal together here you know player new players coming in i think the most difficult part of the game is it's not triple a it's not there you know it's not grand theft auto it doesn't have that, that that dazzle that polish but once you get into the game and understand like the subtle mechanics that you could go out there and you could mine an asteroid and if you find one of the rare rare resources in the game called trilight that could be worth 10 20 30 hundreds of dollars an hour depending on how much you find and if you wanted to then convert that and then make it into ethereum or making an in-game currency and buy other items it's, it's relatively easy to do. And because we have this open platform where we use blockchain technology to support the, all the items in the game, it gives you this different avenue. I mean, we, we use the term uh, play to earn. Like, can you use the time you're investing in a game, the time you're putting in playing, those hundreds of hours you played in World of Warcraft, but if you were able to turn that even into a little bit of revenue, that's something, that's incredible. That's something you've not seen before. A lot of companies have tried, even Blizzard tried this with Diablo 3, creating a real money marketplace and auction system. But there's challenges to that. And I think we've tackled a lot of those challenges. I think we've found solutions to it. And from a player perspective, what we're saying is, look, CSE has a very low entry point, $10 a month. There's no annual fee. There's no monthly fee. You pay that, you come in, you have a starter ship. Yeah, you don't have an Enterprise D or an Enterprise E. You don't have one of the rare dreadnoughts or destroyers in the game. But you'll see other players who have it, and you could talk to them through the chat or through in games like, well, how do I get to that point? It's like, well, you need to go mine a million tons of this, 100,000 tons of this. Or I know this player XYZ is willing to trade you a bunch of components to build it, but he really needs this specific component can you go find it it gives you a chance to you know disconnect from the craziness that's going on in the world and you know, you know play the, the captain play the captain in charge of a ship be the hero of your own story and interact with well, absolutely wonderful community of players which i mean i love getting on there and just chatting with them and seeing what's going on so what are we marketing to players uh, that are looking like here's an escape Here's something that's you know, not going to cost you a ton to get into, but where not only will you find Star Trek, you know, something you love and enjoy, but you'll find a whole universe of you know, freedom that's really not seen in any other space MMO out there. Right, right. So we've got the Picard event coming up starting tomorrow, you said? Yeah, tomorrow the in-game so event kicks June off. 4th. Yeah. That's excellent, excellent. Talk to me a little bit about that relationship with CBS and, you know, developing assets like this for the game. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, th this started several years back, you know, we've focused on 
how can blockchain technology come into gaming? And you know, the, the Star Trek brand team, CBS, they were they were big proponents to like, hey, this sounds interesting. The logic makes sense. Let's give this a shot. And last year, we uh, gave this a, a small attempt with a you know our game that was coming into early access in an alpha state, but had a lot of good legs towards it, and we, we saw phenomenal success. Uh, you know, Star Trek ships sold for tens of thousands of dollars, the auction versions, the one of ones, the rare ones, and players came in and everyone was able to get certain ships that they wanted. The Enterprise D, a Defiant, Voyager, which was one of my favorite ships in the game. Those existed. So after that, we're like, well, you know, here's this first test we did, and it actually was really successful from all the metrics we had set up. So they were happy to go on to a second test or a, a second event here. With Picard coming out, it gave us the opportunity one to promote Picard, which, you know, as Trek fans, I didn't feel the needed much promotion. I mean, I was looking forward to it the second I heard uh, you know, John Luke Ricard's back in the small screen here. But, you know, promotes Ricard and gives us a whole new avenue, a whole new view into the Star Trek universe. And we were able to take some of that and bring it into our universe and continue this experiment and seeing how true digital ownership, the ability to have digital assets that are immutable, traceable, you know exactly how many of a certain one is, how that affects gaming economies now that expands out. And so the, the team over uh, with Star Trek and the brand team has been very supportive, very helpful, getting us art, getting us everything we need to kind of recreate these. And then, you know, we're all Trek fans here. I mean, I cannot tell you how excited it was when we, we got the, the mock-ups for La Serena and the Keplin, and we got to actually go in there and start modeling it out, you know, taking the, the television production models, making them work in game, and then just looking at how beautiful they are, the light shining off. And we have a couple of videos posted, but it is, it is great to work with Star Trek assets. And I think really try to hold up to the specifics and the detail and like every nuance. Uh, the Borg Tactical Cube, I will say, was just, it was phenomenal work with the team because the Star Trek brand team and CBS gave us a lot of feedback and we were going through television show footage and the model footage they had and really trying to get the detail down right. So it's been a great experience and you know we're a small company and I'm truly honored that they you know trust us with this brand and allowing us to do this. Awesome. Well, Fazri, before we wrap up our interview here and our time with you, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to make sure our listeners and potential players or existing players are aware of. Sure. Well, we have four auctions for this event. Uh, these are one of one exclusive ships, the Enterprise E, Tactical Board Cube number 138, the IRW uh, Kazara. Uh, this, this is actually something quite interesting. This is a Romulan warbird that was created by the Tal Shiar. It existed in, I think, one episode, and it had a slightly more bluish hue than the normal green warbird. Uh, it actually looks phenomenal in the game, but that's a, one available here. And then we're doing the La Serena, the red version that Captain Rios flies in the new Picard series. These will be on auction over the next six weeks. First auction is currently live and ends this Sunday for the Enterprise E. The next one is the Tactical Cube, and that will go from June 9th to June 18th. The Warbird uh, Talshare edition will go from June 20th to June 29th. The event will conclude with La Serena going from July 1st to July 10th. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Maybe I'll I'll try to test my luck and see if I can get myself a, a board cube or or La Serena. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. 
the last arena is a gorgeous ship and, and i mean I, it, it is great to see how much our fans of the game and star trek fans enjoy this uh, the board cube is such a rare item in the game and there was a streamer that recently um, opened one up and she was live on stream and just the joy she had at getting that it was it was wonderful it was wonderful to see and i'm glad people are passionate about this game awesome well that's really exciting and we actually have a very special promotion yep. for our listeners uh, talking with your assistant producer, Ruby. We've set it up where our listeners can get 20% off the in-game currency. Correct. Which which is awesome. Yeah, there's a coupon code that uh, you guys could uh, distribute. It's good for, I believe, seven days So from when this airs. And users will be able to go use that on our website, get a discount on the currency, get their own Star Trek crate, and see if they're going to get a board cube. Well, we are so very grateful for that 20% off. Thank you very much. Hopefully it'll get players who may not already be playing it a little additional incentive to, to get them in the game and, and try it out for a bit, especially during this special Star Trek event. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on. Awesome. Well, Captains, that code will be in our show notes, so be sure to check it out over at PriorityOnePodcast.com. It's a little long, but it's priority one the word dash than the number two zero. If that's a little complicated, be sure to uh, head over to our website and check out our show notes. Fosri, I want to thank you again so very much for joining me on this episode of Priority One Podcast. We look forward to the future of the game and its success and all the additional Star Trek content coming down the pipe. Well, thank you again for having me. It's great pleasure. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, Haley frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Last week, our first community question was, do you think Star Trek is better suited for television, movies, or is there a place for Trek on both? On Twitter, GoldenForce772 wrote in, television, clearly. On Facebook, David J. Hargis writes, both. Trek really shines as a series, TV, cable, whatever. Long form and episodic storytelling are good fits for the setting and style of the Star Trek universe. However, punctuating that with cinematic events could be an amazing way to advance the storytelling. Add in some standalone films that further explore the Star Trek universe and you could even develop sub-genres for the franchise, experimenting with other crews and venues, flipping the development track by letting a film go to series versus the other way around. Via Facebook, Jamal Taylor says, Trek, when it's about hope, exploration, and working for a better future while leaving behind most of what keeps us from realizing our full potential, works on both TV and the big screen. There's room for both if the expectations are set realistically. The difference is the films by necessity have to be more episodic in nature, although they've generally had a few running themes through them. Both should make us think and challenge us to rise to the crew's level. They're supposed to be the best their society can produce and a projection of what we can be without lecturing us. Trek fails hardest when it drags our present into their world and when it fails to treat the audience as intelligent people. The premise has always been we struggled but got past where we are to get to where they are, so much so that they look back on us in simultaneous awe and horror. Well said, Jamal. Hear, hear, Jamal. Timely feedback. Well, that wraps up episode 463 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley and Peter Archibald. And here's a reminder of our community question this week. 
Would a season-long Year of Hell-style story be something you'd want to see in the Star Trek universe. Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com and our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, me, Anthony, and the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Stowe players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and support Priority One Podcast over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Even if you cannot make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets very special thanks to lucid lights fazri zuber thanks to our audio editors including gray william brandon rand daniel roscoe and skiffy thanks to our producer jake morgan and associate producer shane hoover with support from thomas reynolds of the priority one armada together they help organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the star trek multiverse Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony Cox. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. If as long as Starfleet uniforms don't have nipples, I'm okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, anatomically, where else are they gonna go? I mean, you gotta have a, you gotta support that. Never mind. Oh, I'm I'm signaling the move on, and you I forgot the move on. <laughs> well, this is great. We can keep talking about this. We can keep so, talking about nipples. Let's keep talking about Starfleet nipples oh, and Batman right. nipples and Klingon oh, nipples and. Just... Lord. What about species with more than three nipples? You'd have to accommodate them, too. Cations? Veracity? Sure. Any of your mammal-based species, yeah. that would be a problem. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.